Amen. If you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, turn with me to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 3 is uh, where we're going to be reading from here today as we continue this sermon series through the book of Exodus, doing a, a part two to chapter 3 last week um, in Exodus um, chapter 3. We're calling this God Revealed Part 2. And so Exodus chapter 3 verses 13 uh, through 22. Um, I would love for you to follow along with me today as we read from the Lord's Word. It says this in verse 13. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. And you, the elders of Israel, shall go to the king of Egypt and say to, them, say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, had, has met with us. And now, please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. This is the word of the Lord. This morning, when I say the word God... When I say the name God, what is the first things that begin to come into your mind? See, God um, is, is used in our daily conversations, is it not? I mean, you, you pretty much cannot listen uh, to almost any kind of music or conversations, movies, cuss words, right? That, that involve the name of God, the word God. As I alluded to last week, I am convinced that specifically speaking of the American church and citizens of America, our Western way of 
living is that when, when we in this culture mention the word God, even within the church, there's a variety of definitions or beliefs of who that is. I mean, we've all heard the person win the Oscar for being in this kind of violent X-ray rated type movies and they stand up and they thank God for allowing them to win that and to be in that situation. It's like we just automatically assume that when the name God is mentioned, that again, that we're all talking about the same being or beings. And so if it's not understood within our culture at large and simultaneously is, is not understood of who this person is within the church, then, then again, no wonder it's foggy. Many times when I start to talk about the character and nature of God, even amongst fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, it sounds like that I'm discussing, mentioning someone who is completely foreign to that individual. This is a major problem. And it has been for some time. Mission Church. If you and I, if, if we are going to commit ourselves, or, or let me put it this way, Mission Church, you and I must commit ourselves to seeking the God who is the God of the Bible. Instead of the God of our own imagination and creation. See, this morning, for just a minute, anybody that knows me is, is going to understand this. If, you've been, if you're new to mission, again, welcome. Glad you're here. Is that um, pretty much, it took me a long time to embrace this, but finally, I embrace that I'm just a nerd. And if you go to high school today, popular kids, guess who they are? Nerds. If this would have been the case in the 90s, I would have been the most popular guy in high school. All right, things have drastically changed. And here in just a moment, I've got to put on Dr. Eric Baker professor hat for a moment. All right? And here, here's my fear, though, in doing that. Is that I'm going to supply some of you with mind-blowing, first-ever-hearing information. And you're going to walk out here today and never be changed. See, we often equate spiritual maturity with spiritual information. And my prayer is, is that we would truly understand that there has to be something that only the God that I'm going to speak of can do. And that is absolutely transform your lives. But if anything, is that, that you live here, leave here salivating, desiring, hungry for more of what is going to be shared today. So, so I'm going to split the sermon into two halves. So there's going to be lots of nerdiness at the beginning. And then I'm going to show you why this nerdiness matters. And then we're going to pray to Jesus that he will transform our lives. Cool? Everybody know where we're going? All right. Let's do this. Inside of the book of Exodus, we have met this guy named Moses, right? 
Moses is, uh, he's in a, he is a Hebrew. He's been raised as an Egyptian. He spent 40 years learning, being educated by the best educators on the planet during this time. At, at the age of 40, he sees his a fellow Hebrew being um, accosted, hurt, probably about to be murdered. And he steps in at having pity and compassion because he already believes that God probably has something for him in delivering of these people. And yet he is raised as an Egyptian and even has what is believed to be an Egyptian name. But he sees this discourse happening between an authentic Egyptian and an authentic Hebrew, an Israelite, and he steps in, he ends up killing the, the Egyptian. He flees, right, to the land of Midian. And, and as he lands in Midian, he saves some pretty ladies um, and Jethro's daughters from, from being hurt, um, from being bullied by some other shepherds. Um, Jethro, as a way of treasuring and honoring this uh, work of Moses, um, gives him a wife. All right? And uh, for the next 40 years, we time jump ahead, and Moses is now 80 years old by the time we get to chapter 3, and he's been a shepherd, pretty much contending that his life is, is what he thought it was going to be, is a failure, and so now he's just going to live out the rest of his days being a shepherd in the middle of absolute nowhere. I mean, it's worse than nowhere. Like, you ever been to nowhere? Like, go to nowhere, take a left, and that's where Moses is now hanging out. All right, And we come to this scene inside of Exodus chapter 3 where Moses is just going to work and all of a sudden, as we saw last week, a, a bush within the desert has a fire within it. And yet it's not being consumed. That means it's not burning to ashes. It's, it's still living. It's a, a living organism. And yet with inside of the bush... It has come to flame, and as Moses goes to check this out, it starts calling out his name. Moses, Moses. He says, step back. And God, as I told you this theological word last week, is a theophany. It's a picture within the Old Testament, a, a physical representation of the presence of God. And in this moment, God does so in the form of this fire that is consuming every part of this bush and yet not consuming it, meaning burning it to the ground. He tells Moses, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and that I've heard the cries of, of my people and that I want you to go back to Egypt and you're going to tell that Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses begins to complain and complain and complain. He's like, but who am I, right? Who am I? Is what Moses says to God. Who, who am I? There's no way that I can accomplish this. There's no way that I can do this. And as we read here today, there's... Many more complaints in Moses, we even in chapter 4 will have some others about how that he's not the guy. I'm not the guy to do this. I've got all kinds of excuses. I've already failed. I murdered an Egyptian. Have you forgotten that God? And yet, the God, the God of the Bible, speaking to Moses... Reminds him over and over again that I will be with you. But Moses, in the verses that we just read this morning, in verse 3, he, he begins to say, But God, like if, if I go to this place, Moses said to God, If I go to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, What's his name? What's his name? Moses is wanting some street cred here. Right? 
Now, is it possible that the Israelites knew God's name? It's it's plausible that that's true. But it's very clear that Moses did not. He knew him as God. He knew him as God. See, names in Scripture are more than just generic titles. Right? Like there's this uh, young lady that, that lives in and around here in Bowling Green. Her name is Holly Wood. Right? We can get really creative with names, can't we? Names are more, though, uh, than just generic titles when we're talking about biblical names. They always have a word picture or a definition that goes along with it. It typically even says something about their character or their nature. Like Isaac means something about laughing. You know why? Because when when God told Sarah that she was going to have a kid, Sarah laughed. Right? Um, Is it it Joseph? That means like redeemer. Savior. Rescuer. Right? Moses means brought from the water. Brought out of. You get what I'm saying? We don't think about those things. Do you know what the name Eric means? Eternal ruler. (laughs) Also known as Thanos. Eternal ruler. And I keep waiting for y'all to treat me as such. It means courage. It means brave. It means leader. That's what my name means. But my parents were not thinking about that when they were like 21 years old. They're like, if it's a boy, it's going to be Eric. If it's a girl, it's Erica. No joke. That was not a sermon illustration. That was truth. All right. Names mean something. And so God, throughout the Scripture, is given many titles and many names. God uses these names, these titles, these adjectives. Uh, they're an, an, an you know, integral part in the description of forming and defining who this God is. And as we read the whole story of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, it's not many different stories. It is all one meta-narrative we see God revealing His character, His attributes, and His nature through the use of these names. These names are more than just a description of this individual, but they they literally define who He is. Because He is this, then guess how He acts? In this way. And you see this over and over and over and over again in Scripture. All right. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1. If you don't, I got the big screen Bible right here. Genesis, I can actually see this. It's good. Genesis 1.1. Alright? So in the beginning, the very first few verses or, or, or words inside of the Bible that you hold in your English translation are these words. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, you and I as modern, uh, postmodern, post-post-postmodern believers and people, non-believers even, if you're gathered with us here today, welcome, we're glad you're here. 
When we see this, we automatically, because we're reading the Bible, bring a lot of uh, preconceived notions, baggage, or definitions to this word, don't we? But imagine if you've never read this before. In the beginning, God. Well, if you know anything about English and how to read, one of the things that they quickly tell you is to ask questions of the things that you're reading, right? In the beginning, God. Well, who is that guy? Or gal? Who is this God? You have to understand, ladies and gentlemen, that, and I'll talk some more about this in the upcoming weeks here, but uh, you're talking about an ancient time of polytheism. That means that there is the belief in many gods and goddesses. And I would contend that that idea and that practice still exists today. And so what was very common would be for you to kind of plunge a little bit from this belief system, this religion out here, and this religion out here, and you kind of form them all together. Like sometimes I'll be up on campus, and maybe you've heard about these. I'm a, I'm a Hindu Buddhist Christian. And we think that that's really strange. But there are literally people out there who believe, like I'm a Muslim Christian. Okay. Way back in ancient history... This idea of there being many gods wasn't just some plithy thought. But when you read the actual scripture, there is an undercurrent, an underlying belief that there are many gods. Like real ones. Okay? And so when we read, and again, who wrote this originally? Moses wrote this in his time of the Lord. And so when we read Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the very first verse of this, we see the main character of the book. Guess what it doesn't say? In the beginning, Eric. It doesn't say in the beginning, Alan. And we all love Alan. And we've already decided he's the best one among us. The only one who doesn't believe that is Diane. It doesn't say that, does it? It says, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. The word God in the original language, and I put it up here, it's Hebrew, Elohim. Anybody ever heard that word before? Okay. Any um, DC fans out there? That's uh, Superman, Batman, Kal-El. That's Superman's real name. Do you know what that means? Son of God. El was his dad. Kal-El, son of God, is Superman's real name. There you go. Nerd it out. We can leave. Let's take up an offering. All right? They get that from this Hebrew word, El. All right? It means God. All right? But this is a very common use of the name God. It's used over 2,500 times inside of the Scripture. The, the word is based on the word for deity. All right? This is the title. It is a title. Like, like I'm a man. I am a professor. Right? I am a teacher. I am a dad. I am a parent. I am a husband. I am a friend. I am a brother. I am a son. Right? This is a title. So in the very beginning, in the beginning, God, this title, this being that is given specifically to this God of the Bible is a very common usage of this word Elohim. 
all right? This wouldn't have been like catastrophic to the people listening to this. I mean, think back to middle school, world history, and think about gods and goddesses in mythology, right? You've got Zeus, and then more popular probably recently because of the Marvel films, you've got like Loki and and Thor and uh, Diana, who is Wonder Woman, right? That there are these gods and goddesses. Within Hinduism alone, there are 33 million gods and goddesses. So which one are we? Is this one? Is this Brahma? From Hinduism? Is this Vishnu? Is this Allah? Who is this God? The God of the Bible. Follow me? Here we got this. That's the questions that we should be asking. Alright? Now, the idea of God, again, is a very generic sense. There aren't tons of atheists running around in the ancient world. It's just a buffet of belief in gods and goddesses. And this is what's taking place here inside of this. We read this very first verse and we wonder, who is this God? I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm easily entertained by, by movies and television shows. I get that. Um, but my favorites are always ones where there's major character-heavy character development. Right? Where you can kind of see yourself into that character. Or how would you respond to this character? Because when there's great character development inside of, of these, um, these, these movies and these television shows, it, it, it helps you develop, who, who, again, who they are. Because what? You're peering into your, their minds. You're listening to them speak. But you're also seeing the connection between what they say and what they are doing. This is what separates, right, one character from another character. The God of the Bible, Elohim, is unique and He is distinguished from all the other gods and goddesses that are in the universe. This God is the God that deems from the very first verse that He has created all of the heavens and the earth. Well, once you understand and, and have accomplished that, you have to understand that even within the, the realm of the gods is that this begins to distinguish him from all of those other gods and goddesses. We begin to find out from the very first verse inside of the Bible who this person is. See, the God of the Bible is unique and, and distinguish himself from the very beginning, we know that the God of the Bible and the God of the Muslims named Allah, that they are not the same being, no matter what people will tell you. And how do we know that? Because of the way that they define themselves in both their attributes, their character, but also how they work on the planet and what they expect out of humanity. Those are two different beings on the planet, and yet what happens inside of modern society? We're just all worshiping and going at the end. When everybody dies, we'll all be at the top of the same mountain, and that at the top of the same mountain will be the God. And if you follow Muslim or Islam, guess what you're going to eventually find out? 
It's the same God as the Christians. The, 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 the Muslims go through Muhammad and then that prophecy and they, they have those, those practices. And so at the end, they get they call him Allah, but it's just God. It's just this generic kind of junk drawer God that's in the sky. For you and I, we follow Jesus and guess what? We're going to wake up and we're going to be standing next to, to Muslims who followed uh, Muhammad and, and worshipped Allah because in the end, there's just one God. But if you really know Islam and you really know the God of the Bible, it's very clear these two beings are not the same person. If you follow Hinduism or Buddhism or any of those things as well, you will understand quickly that this is not Elohim. He's not Elohim. See, the, the actions of this God, the God of the Bible, define, again, who this God is. In preparation for this sermon this week, um, I Googled my name. Anybody ever done that? Anybody ever Googled your name? All right. I Google my name. I met Eric Baker, the Emmy Award-winning writer and writer, singer-songwriter. I met Eric Baker, the, the British activist. I met Eric Baker, the businessman who co-founded StubHub. You may have bought a ticket from StubHub. All right. Who is also, in December, listed his Beverly Hills house for $33 million. I met Eric Baker, the governor of Pennsylvania, um, on the show West Wing. I met tall Eric Bakers, short Eric Bakers, skinny Eric Bakers, fat, black, white. They are all precious in his sight, Eric Bakers. They are all Eric Baker. And yet, guess what they are not? Eric Baker. I can guarantee you, I did not sell a house this week in Beverly Hills for $33 million. All right? That did not happen. Sadly, this mentality is, is saying that you know God or that you believe in God. Get this, saying, and this is very sad, saying that, that, that you know God or that you believe in God or oh, thank God for allowing me to win this national championship, whatever it may be. Saying that you know God is equivalent to saying that you know Eric Baker. And here's the thing, is you may know an Eric Baker. But not this Eric Baker. Does that make sense? Do you know one? Absolutely. There is a guy in my own hometown, Franklin, Kentucky, 7,000 people. And guess what his name is? Eric Keith Baker, which is my name, but I am not him. I think his sister's name is Jennifer. Baker. Is her middle name Lynn? Eric Keith Baker, Jennifer Lynn Baker, and they are not us. So if you see that mugshot or WKO, okay, you, you call me. You make sure it's me. All right? It's equivalent to saying, man, I know this God, but that doesn't mean that you know the God of the Bible. As we read Genesis 1-1, we immediately learn that the God of the Bible is really powerful. Why? Because he is able to create something out of nothing. This is the beginning of distinguishing himself from all other lesser gods. As one reads from Genesis to Revelation, 
one thing will become very clear. The God of the Bible is unlike any and all other gods. The character, the nature, the attributes, the mission of God, the God of the Bible is, is shaping, molding, and he must shape and mold and define himself. And you need to really wrestle with. Ask yourself, let's go ahead and go to the application. You need to be really asking yourself, when you say that you follow God, are you following the God of the Bible? From Genesis, we see the desire within fallen man to create and follow a God of our own creation, which is really offensive to the God of the Bible. So in this situation, God, or Moses, is having this conversation with Elohim, God. And through all of Genesis and, and now into the first three chapters, he has continued to reveal himself over and over and over again. We're learning more and more and more about who the God of the big G God of the Bible is. Because there's lots of small G gods in the Bible. And they do some crazy things. But this big G God, Elohim, is revealing himself over and over and over again. And so Moses is in the middle of the wilderness. He's old, right? He's, he's 80 years old. He's thinking, man, it's, it's time to retire here. It's, it's time to move on. And all of a sudden, God shows up in his providence, in his sovereign plan. And he tells this guy, you're going to go back and you're going to lead my people out of Egypt. And Moses begins to back up. And he said, but no, God, but I need some help here. He calls him God, 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 God. He's like, I need to know like something more here. I need some confidence here. What is your name? What is your name? Moses has already asked, man, who am I? And yet here he, he transitions the question to ask that specifically of God. And this is how he answers in verse 14 and 15. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent you. That's a weird name. God also said to Moses, say to this people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus, I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So God himself is, is using this generic, but he's, he's, he's redeemed the generic form of Elohim to describe him as himself. That is his title. He is God. But that is not his name. What is his name? I am who I am. I am the Lord. This is my name forever, and thus it should be remembered throughout all generations. Now, is it bad to sing songs and, and to say the name God? No, when talking about the God of the Bible. But he has a name. Do you know it? Do you know it? All right, let's, let's do some Hebrew work this morning. I promise. Stay with me. Can we go to the next slide? Do I have There we go. Alright, same verse. And we're going to teach you some Hebrew this morning. The words, I am who I am. What's your name? I am who I am. Right? Name your kid that. 
and they get free membership to this church. All right? I am who I am. That is the Hebrew word, okay? I, he, yay. I, he, yay. Asher, a, he, yay. A, he, yay. Asher, a, he, a. It, it translates to English, I will be what I will be. Okay? He goes on to say, I am. A, he, yay. All right? It, it, it's derived from the word haya, which sounds like what? Haya! All right? All the kids, haya! You're learning some Hebrew today. Good job. Which literally means be. God's name is B. God says of himself, Ahi Ya, yay, excuse me, Ahi Yay, Ashir, A-E-A. I am who I am. I am B. My name is Ahi Yay. Ahi Yay. That is my name. And what does that mean? It means B. It means be. But as he goes on here, notice what he says. Inside your Bibles or inside your, your, your journals that you have in front of you, look, look at this verse 15. It says, God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord. That's a different word. Slightly. See, it would be weird for Moses to go to Egypt and to stand before Pharaoh and they say, okay, what's his name? And him say, I am who I am. I am B. And so God, in his sovereign knowledge and will, translates it to he is. And every time inside of your New Testament, so I'm going to explain this more when we talk about uh, probably using the Lord's name in vain in the fall, in August. Um, I'll come back to this. Whenever you see inside of your Old Testament, do you see it? Look. The capital letters L-O-R-D. That's where translators, and again, I'll explain this later. I don't have time today. Don't use the name Yahweh. But have instead put the Hebrew word there for Adonai, which means Lord. Every time, ladies and gentlemen, inside the, specifically the Old Testament, you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That is the holy name of God. And what does it mean? It means He will be. That God's name is, is, is be. He has always been. He is be, and yet he is being. What is he trying to say about himself? He goes from just this generic understanding of the idea of Elohim to saying specifically something about his character and nature that is unlike all the other gods and goddesses out there. He is saying that, that I have always been, that right now, think about this, not, not too much, but that God is where it has always been right now. He is present in the being. 
And yet God is present in the B right now. Like God is in this room. But that's in again. And God is as much in tomorrow, the being, as He is in this moment right now. God is saying something about in the usage of these words is that He, he is be, that He is what He is. He is always being. He is always existent. The God who He declares Himself to be not just with the title, but with his specific name, he is saying, I am always never ending, eternally existing, always present with you, with his people. I'm always never ending, eternally present, always with you, my people. If you are in Christ, then God is deeming from this time way back in Exodus chapter 3 that I am always with you. That is what he's telling to Moses. What he's already said to Moses, but what if I go? And Moses said, I can't do this, I can't do this. But what is God's answer to him? His answer is his very name. I am with you. And when you go to the throne room of Pharaoh, you go in there not in confidence in yourself, but you declare to them, man, who is this God? I'll tell you who this God is. The God who is be. The God who is self-existing. The God who is you know, inexhaustible. Much like the flame that Moses is looking at in the bush, God is declaring something about His character and His nature that cannot change. It will be the same past, present, and future. He never changed. He is be. He is in the present as much as He is in the past and as much as He is in the future. He is with you. And if He is with you, there is nothing that you cannot accomplish in His mission. God responds, I am who and what I am. This is a, a definitely a, a deep personal character statement of God Himself about who He is. I will continue to be what I am forever and ever. And no matter what happens on this planet or out in the universe, nothing can ever change that. Ah, he, yay. We know that as the Hebrew, yod, that's the Y, H, Yod hey va hey. We've added the vowels to pronounce it as Yahweh, which I'll explain again when we get to not taking the Lord's name in vain of why we did that. But in English terms, if someone was to say, What's the name of the God that you follow? He will be. He is. You know, they often say that you don't know someone until you live with them. Let's all be careful. It is Valentine's Day, so don't look across. All right. 
at anybody. You don't know anyone until you live with them. Why do we say that? We say that because you see everything about them. You see the benefits of living with them. Hopefully there are some good benefits. My wife stays with me because I cook good. I know that. Besides being tall, dark, and handsome. <laughs> okay? It's just an added benefit. We see the, the benefits of living with them, right? Because here's the thing. Is we are all obsessed with looking really holy to everyone else. More than we are about the very holiness of God. We want to look really good to each other. But there, there are things about you and there are things about me that only, only my wife sees. She sees the benefits of, of being with me. And yet, what does she see? She sees the hypocrisies, the inconsistencies. She sees the, the hot mess that I can be. She can see if I'm dirty or if I'm clean or if I have organized piles located all over the house that you don't see. But I know where they are. It is my organizational system. Even if it's different than yours, doesn't mean it's wrong. If you and I lived with God, we would never see those inconsistencies because He always is who He is. He is always be. I know that's terrible grammar. But it's the Bible. We wear different hats all the time, don't we? Depending on who we're around. He always wears the same one. To not would mean that he is not who he says that he is. It would go against his very name. In Isaiah we see that this prophet, Isaiah, begins to speak about the coming Messiah in all these details, right? We read a lot of Isaiah um, during Easter. We read a lot of Isaiah during Christmas time because it's all pointing toward the Messiah. And Isaiah begins to describe the Messiah, and, and he would say that one day that he's come to set God's people free from their bondage of sin and death and restore their relationship with God, right? He calls them the coming Messiah. What's that word? Emmanuel. And what does the word Emmanuel mean? God with us. Skip ahead a few hundred years, a thousand years or so to the birth of Jesus. And inside of the, the Christmas story, what do we get? We get the description, and what is the baby Jesus going to be called? He is Emmanuel, God with us. Go to the next slide here. Jesus in the, John, in the Gospel of John has this really interesting exchange with these people who claim to follow the God of the Bible. And guess what? 
they are all better than us at it. Don't beat up on the Pharisees as far as their moralism goes because guess what? They are more moral than you and me. And they claim to know the God of the Bible. Do you follow God? Yes, God. There is only one God, the Shema says in Deuteronomy. We worship Him. With all that we have, we are completely devoted to the God of the Old Testament, to this God. And so Jesus has this exchange in John chapter 8 with this woman who's caught in adultery and she's thrown at the feet of Jesus, right? And and he tells them, pick up a stone if you've not committed any sins, right? And they all kind of walk away. But not all of them, the, the, the exchange continues. And they're battling back and forth and they're calling Jesus all sorts of names. They're saying all, all this stuff about Jesus. They, they are really coming after Jesus and, and Jesus being the good, because he's, is who he is, begins to bring up their heroes, like Abraham. And he has this exchange. Follow with me. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not speak my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. If it is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. We we cannot understand The throat punch that Jesus just looked at a bunch of church people and says, hey, that guy you're singing about, you don't know him. That guy you're praying to, come on, Mission Church. This door opens wider gates. In the name of Jesus, Jesus looks at those people and says, you don't know him. Only a holy God. Right? You don't know him. Let's keep going. Verse 55. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. Jesus, he's real nice. Little Jesus. Meek and mild, Jesus. I would be a liar like you, but I, I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. What's their response? So they picked up stones to throw him, but Jesus hid himself and went out to the temple. They did not want to stone him merely because he said that they were liars. They wanted to stone him for blasphemy, of which he is eventually going to be placed upon a cross for. Why? Because they knew in the Greek language, it is the, it's transliterated from Hebrew into Greek. And guess what the word for I am is there? 
I am B. I am him. Jesus, in this moment and in other moments, has just equated himself to Yahweh. He has just said, I am Yahweh. And what is their response? They want to kill him because it's, it's blasphemy for Jesus to take on these words. And, and yet, for those of us who are in Christ, understand the magnitude of, of this right here. Is that when you go back to the story of Exodus chapter 3, it, it's not just a theophany. It's not just this picture of, of God showing up in a physical manifestation inside of this fire, inside of this bush. But it's simultaneously, for my conviction, is that it is a Christophany. And you know what that is? It's the physical representation of Christ before he was ever incarnated. Do you know who's speaking to Moses in that bush? It is Jesus. Jesus is looking at Moses. Let that rock your brain for a little bit. Jesus is looking at Moses. He's declaring God. Who is Elohim God? God the Father. Who is Yahweh? It is Jesus. I am. And they understood that. So anytime some Mormon or, or Muslim friend of yours comes knocking on your door trying to say that Jesus is not Son of the God, I want you to pull out your Hebrew, go to the Bible in Exodus chapter 3, and then take them to John chapter 8, and you're going to, I mean, they're going to come up and do all kinds of biblical gymnastics, but I want you to know, if you really know your stuff, it's not to win an argument, but it is to point to the truth that Jesus is God. And the people around Jesus believed and understood that. That He was saying that He was God. And you know what? They killed Him for it. Throughout the Bible, inside the New Testament, Jesus is going to say things like, I am the bread of life. He's going to say things like, I am the light of the world. He says, I am the door of the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. Jesus is saying these things of Himself, ladies and gentlemen, that He is the. And, and even His followers, after His resurrection, will continue this on. Uh, Todd, if you'll hit the next slide for me. Paul is going to say this in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 5-6. through 6, For although they were maybe so-called gods, small g, in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods. There are many gods on the planet. Real ones. There are many lords. Yet, for us, there is one God, the Father. Elohim, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, one Yahweh, Jesus Christ, through whom all things and through whom we exist. Jesus is saying, His followers are saying, He went to the cross for saying that He is Yahweh, that He is the presence of God, that He is the being, the eternally existent 
God, part of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is declaring this over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. He is the one that will stand in Revelation chapter 1 verse 8 and declare, I am the Alpha and the Omega. That means beginning and the end. I am, Jesus will declare in Revelation, the one who is... And the one who is to come. What is all that a reference to? What is he always pointing back to? I've always been. I am right now. And I will forever be. And say, Pastor Eric, you've been talking about this a long time. Like, so... What does all this mean for us? This means everything for us. It means everything for us. See, you want to come here and learn five ways to a better marriage. You know how you have a better marriage? Fall on your face every moment of every day to Yahweh, the one who is. It means everything. Brothers and sisters, friends, non-Christians and Christians, this Jesus is our only hope. God will tell Moses and the Israelites, Jesus will tell his church, I will be with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. God is telling Moses over and over in this discourse between him and, and God. He's telling Moses, Moses, it's not about you. It's all about me. And if I'm with you, then there is nothing that we can't accomplish in my sovereign providential mission on this planet. As I work inside of your stuttering, stumbling words, as, I, as you live through this life, I want you to know that the God of all creation, God the Father, Yahweh Himself, the One who is, is, is carrying you through this existence. And my plan will be accomplished even when you look like it's the darkest of night. I will be there. I will be there. It's not about Moses. It's not about Eric. It's not about you. It's not about our abilities. It is about God. The one who is and the one who is to come. When I was a young man, this is a long time ago, I was at a passion thing with Lou Giglio. Some of you guys heard Passion Conference before. And Lou had this statement. And it's always, I don't remember much of anything else that he said, but he said this. He said, he was talking about this passage and he said, you need to understand is that you've got to come to the realization that I am not, but I know I am. So, in conclusion, when you think about growing up, and maybe you had terrible parents, and you've just never been able to process that and get over it. Exodus 3, and Jesus reminds us, I am. He's present in that moment. When you've been abused, I am. When the sink is 
full of dishes and the clothes are piled up in the laundry, when your kids are running around acting like evil spawns of Satan and they just won't shut up for one minute. I am. Jesus is with you. When you're paralyzed by anxiety, Jesus is with you. When, when someone you love is lying in and I see you fighting for every breath, Jesus is with you. When, when you long to have one more conversation with someone that you've lost but you desperately love, Jesus is with you. When, when you and your spouse are yelling and screaming at each other and you wonder if you can go on one more minute, say one more word to me, Jesus is there. When you long for a child, you have miscarriage after miscarriage after miscarriage. Jesus is there. When you're financially irresponsible or the hits just keep coming and coming and coming, Jesus is there. He is is being in that moment. When, When you think something horrible that would totally destroy everyone else's perceptions of you, Jesus is there. When you, when you lose your job, Jesus is there. When, when you're watching pornography, Jesus is there. When you cry, quietly cry yourself to sleep, can barely get out of bed the next morning because of depression or, or just being out of your mind, Jesus is there. When your teenage daughter or son comes and says, I, I, I'm pregnant or I've gotten someone pregnant, Jesus is there. When you're in the midst of sinning, He is there. He died your death. He took your punishment. He got into your tomb and yet He rose to make His enemies His kid. See Moses, if I send you, I go with you. says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. While you were yet sinning, sinners, Christ died for you. When you feel all alone, like no one is there, and yet you're surrounded by people, Jesus whispers, Yahweh. And you're like my friends who I'm trying to take one more hit, one more drug, and I'll never do it again. I just need this moment numbed for just a second. Just, just a moment. Just Jesus. Hey, I'm here. Mission Church, God has not called you and I as Mission Church to anything where He is not going to be ever present with us. And the more you and I understand the God of the Bible, we become a dangerous people for the schemes of sin, Satan, and death. Let's be listening.